0: I might just need to explain why I'm hobbling. (laughs) It's embarrassing, children. So last Monday, I was uh, sitting in my garden. It was a lovely hot day, wasn't it? Beautiful day like today. I was sitting there with my cup of tea, and my neighbor has a daughter who has a cat. Now, some people like cats, and some of us don't. Somebody said to me, were you chasing a robber when you did your leg? Well, no, robbers take things. Cats deposit things (laughs) in my garden. And I don't like what they deposit in my garden. And so I decided that I would, I saw this cat slinking across the garden, and I thought, I'm gonna get you right now. I'm gonna frighten the life out of you. So I got out of the chair, as fast as it is humanly possible, and sped down the garden to give this cat a shot. And in doing so, I absolutely ripped my calf muscle, and I I literally fainted with the pain. Oh, my goodness. Apparently, the Lord loves cats, but uh, we'll we'll just leave it there. I don't. It's interesting. um, The elders asked me, actually, a couple of years ago, uh, when some of them had heard me speak at the School of Leadership, which, by the way, happens here in this building. If you ha- I mean, how many people have done the School of Leadership or its various forms over the years? Look at that, amazing. If you haven't yet done the School of Leadership and you'd like to find out about the School of Leadership, please come and talk to uh, Chris. Uh, by the way, at our conference, <laughs> the most popular person in the room was none of our apostolic team, it was not Nikki Gumbel who was with us on video, it was not Terry Virgo who was there. Whenever Chris's name was mentioned, exactly, what's that about? She's very popular and she does a great, really great job. So thank you Chris for all you do with School of Leadership. And it's a great way to expand your understanding of the Bible to hear God speak to you, to learn, to see the big picture of God's landscape, of His calling, His grace, His mercy for you. If you haven't done School of Leadership, please have a chat with Chris. Uh, There are places still, yeah, thank you. Thank you, John. There are places still available, Chris. There's always places available. And you can do it either physically in the Jubilee Center, or now you can do it online at home, if that serves you better. So the elders, I think Rach as well, had heard me speak on uh, God's call uh, of leadership and the devotion, being uh, leaders who are devoted to God. And they'd heard me speak on that, and they said, look, Jeremy, at some point over the next, you know, when you next preach, this was a couple of years ago, would you bring those messages to us? And I felt, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Well, every time I've gone to prepare it for you, I felt God speak to me about something else and I've brought something more prophetic that I felt God speaking to you. However, today, I am obedient to the holy call, and I'm gonna be talking about, it's really the first part of a series of messages that I hope to bring to you over the next year or so, when I'm invited, as we're invited. Um, this first one really is about the call of God and your responsibility to receive that call and to walk in that call. So it's really how do you respond to God's call. And I'm just gonna read a couple of verses. Interestingly enough, they're verses that Dan's already read to us, or they start, some of them are verses that Dan's already read to us. This is from Ephesians. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. For he chose us, this is the verse I really wanna zone in on, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. It's hard to know where to stop in chapter one because it's really just one big sentence. And then in chapter two, verse 10. Well, actually, let's read from verse eight. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith and not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that sets us free, that liberates us. We pray this morning, come Holy Spirit upon us. Let your word live, let it breathe. Let us be caught up with your call and let us step in with responsibility to all you're calling us to do in Jesus' name. Somebody uh, once asked this question, uh, what is your toughest challenge? What is the toughest thing you're facing at the moment? Have a think about it. It might be something in your family Kids, it might be something at school. It might be an economic challenge right now. It might be a challenge at work. It might be an educational challenge. It might be a physical challenge. It might be something you're struggling with in your mind. What is your greatest challenge? And the answer came back, you are. (laughs) You are your greatest challenge. Because actually you have the ability to receive stuff from God or not as the case may be. You are your greatest challenge. Not circumstances, not something that's happening to you, not something in your physical body, not a circumstantial thing, but actually how you are responding to God. And we're gonna look at that because there really are only two things that define God's call on your life. Number one is God. He's the one who calls. But number two, you. You need to respond to God's call. And we'll come on to that in a moment. That verse that we read in Ephesians chapter 1 For he has chosen us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then verse 2 of 10 We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared. In advance for us to do. There's very little in the Bible that talks about what God was doing before the creation of the world, but it does say here He was calling you, choosing you, and not just choosing you like a trophy, like oh, I quite fancy a bless Anne. You know, have a have a I mean, one's enough, but you know I quite fancy a bless Anne, and yeah, I'll I'll call a bless Anne. And that's it. I've got. Oh, I've got a blessed hand now. That's nice, isn't it? And we'll have a Rich as well, and and, and we'll have a Sarah, uh, and we'll we'll have a Chris. E- even heaven cheered, um, you know. And and it's like God choosing. And and but actually, the Bible says it's not just God choosing you because He loves you, although that's wonderful as it is. But He chooses you and calls you with purpose. And for the whole of eternity, he's not just been planning how he would call you to himself, but he's planning how he's going to use you to display his glory on planet Earth. That's the amazing call of God. And dear friends, it was even in the womb, the Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. Uh, In Jeremiah, he says... Before I formed you in the womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Even in your very conception, he has chosen you and called you. And that means God's sovereign in that. It means that in every circumstance of your life, God is sovereign. He knew which womb to put you in. He knew who your father would be. He knew where you would be born. He knew which town or city or village or nation you'd be born in. He knew which time you'd be born in. I don't know whether you're like me. Kids, maybe you're a little bit like this. You know, when you study different historical ages, do you sometimes think, oh, wouldn't it be great to have born in the Tudor times, or wouldn't it have been great to have born in the Egyptian times, or, you know, or, or even, if you're really spiritual, wouldn't it have been, what would you say? Ancient Greece. Ancient Greece. That would be, or even modern Greece, quite honestly, but ancient Greece, is, ancient Greece is pretty cool. I used to love ancient Greece and all the sort of weird and wonderful mythology that came with it. You know, or even if you're really spiritual, you know, wouldn't it be good to have been born at Jesus' time, you know? But actually, God's plan and purpose for you, I can say this confidently because the word of God says it, and you're listening to me now in 2022, was to be born at this time, in this nation, or the nation that you were born in, for this season of your life. God has chosen every circumstance of your life for your good and for his glory. God is the one who's called you. And if you look at biblical characters, we haven't got time today, but if we're on School of Leadership, we could look at the life of Joseph, or we could look at the life of David, or Moses, or Paul, and see how God set them in certain time frames in history and called them at certain key moments and actually arranged the time of their birth the circumstances of their family life, even some of the difficulties and trials and troubles that you think are bad, actually God meant them for good because he's using it to put this person on the stage at the right time. And I want to just say that to you. I don't say it in a crass way. I don't say it in an unpastoral way. But I want to say even some of the things that have happened to you Even some of the things that you might say, if I could write the story of my life, I'd write that out. If I could change some things, I'd change that. I might change my parents. I might change where I was born. I might change the poverty in which I was born. I might change my educational ability. I might change my sporting prowess that could chase cats down the gardens. I I might want to change a few things about my life. And God says, no, I've equipped you uniquely, I've placed you, I know what I'm doing with your life, I'm equipping you uniquely to be my servant, to bring glory to me, and even some of the negative things that you've been through and are going through right now, God is using it, we don't understand it, we don't comprehend it, but if we see it from God's perspective, he's even using those things like he did with Joseph, Family troubles, lies, employment troubles, prisoning, in prison. You think, if you'd frozen the moment in time with Joseph in prison, you think, how could this be for God's glory? Family troubles, employment troubles, in prison. How could that be for God's glory? And yet suddenly, at the right time, the baker and the butler, Pharaoh, the whole thing opens up for him. God has a plan for your life, and he knows what he's doing. He has called you, and he has chosen you. And ultimately, your life's track, the writer to the Hebrews talks about it like a race. Each one of us has a race, and it's a different race. We're not all on the same track. We're not all on the same race. It doesn't seem fair. You look at others, and you think, they've got an easy race. Well, you don't know what's around the corner for them, and you don't know where they've come from. You're just looking right now at them and thinking it's easy for them. You might say, my race is hard right now. Well, God knows, and he's in it, and he's called you to run this race. And ultimately, your calling and the gifts that he gives you to enable you to fulfill that calling are sovereignly from him. And I think one of our problems as Christians is we look at others and we think, Oh, Ali, she's so gifted. If only I had her life. You know, if only I had her gifts. And Sorry, Pete. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that there's one person who knows the truth, you see. And, you know, on the outside, we say, oh, yeah, if only I was like that. But then you don't know the troubles and the struggles and the difficulties and the background. All we can do is receive what God has for us. Those... Callings that he's preordained for us, he spent the whole of eternity planning your life not that so you could be like somebody else, but so you could step into who you are before him your unique calling. I love it in Romans, it says Romans chapter 12, verse 6 it says, We all have different gifts according to the grace of given to us. There are different gifts according to God's grace, God's grace gifts for you. So we must stop looking at others and saying, I wish I had their gifts. And we must say, thank you, Lord, you've gifted me. Kids, it's so easy sometimes to look at others, the brightest in the class, the the best sportswoman, the best educated guy, and say, I wish I had. No, God's given you unique gifts. He's given you unique callings. Find out what they are and walk in them. I love what John the Baptist. When John the the Baptist is the most anointed guy on the scene, until his cousin turns up. Have you ever had that? You know, you're doing so well until somebody else turns up who's a bit brighter and better. And you think, I thought it was me that was going to be the best worship leader. I thought it was me who was going to be the best sports person. I thought it was me who was going going to step into that. I thought it was no. And then Jesus comes along, and he kind of eclipses John. And John has this beautiful attitude. He says, no, he must increase, I must decrease. And he says this, John says this, a man can only receive what is given to him from heaven. So he says, I can't do Jesus' role. He's the Lamb of God. He's gonna take away the sins of the world. I can do my job, which is to prepare the way of the Lord. I can do my job, which is to be the baptizer to get people ready to his message. A person can only receive what heaven gives them. So we don't have the gift, even as leaders, we don't have the gift to give you what you want. Now it may well be what you want is in line with what heaven wants. Because it says God gives us the desires of our hearts. It says if you desire leadership, you desire a noble thing. It doesn't say you arrogant person. No, it says you desire a noble thing. And it may well be that God's aligning your desires with what he wants for you, but the most important thing is not your desires, because those desires can be off. It's like a magnet, or iron fire. You can sometimes be attracted to the wrong thing, pulled off course. What's heaven got for you? What's God's calling for your life? And therefore, Paul says in Philippians, this is Philippians two and Philippians three, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. So he's got a good purpose for you. He's got a plan, a destiny for you. Now, Paul uses these two things. He says, now you work it out, for it's God who works in you. How does that work? Well, it means that God is working in you and with you and actually wants your cooperation. He unpacks it a little bit more in the next chapter in Philippians three, he says this, I take hold, I grasp, I take hold of that for which he's taken hold of me for. So I always think it's a little bit like a little child wanting to pick that apple, beautiful apple on a tree, a beautiful plum, and the father or the mother picks the child up and now says, now, reach for the apple. You could never reach for it before, but I'm picking you up. He's taken hold of me that I might take hold of that for which he's called me to do. He's taken hold of you. Can you feel his grip? Can you feel the grip of his grace on you? Because he's gripping you to take hold of that for which he's called you to walk in, and therefore, and this is where I want to kind of land the majority of this message. You and I have a responsibility. It's not just, you know, like the Beatles sang, you know, switch off your mind, lay back and just drift downstream. It's not just switch off, just let go and let go. Just drift downstream. Just, just let the current take you. Just wonder where I'll end up. Just relax. No, it's not that at all. It's take responsibility. See, that's what God said to the original couple, Adam and Eve. He called them to rule on his behalf. He called them to take responsibility over all creation. They were the image bearers of God. They were God's representatives. They were were to bring in God's kingship, his kingdom on planet Earth, and to rule and to reign on his behalf. A man is the only creation, men and women are the only creatures, because we are creatures, we are created, but we're the only creatures who don't just act by instinct, we can take responsibility and make decisions for ourselves. You see, birds fly south, don't they, in in the migration, in the winter. Dogs bark at postmen cats, poo in the garden. They don't, they're not being sinful, although I think they are, but they're not being, it's just instinct. Animals just do things by instinct. They just do things because that's the way they're wired. Actually, we're different. We have responsibility. We're not just at the beck and calls of desires and instincts. Actually, no, we can choose to reign and choose to rule and choose to follow God in his calling of our life. That's why God hold, held Adam responsible for what happened. But you just notice what Adam does in the garden. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I, I was responsible. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I, I, I didn't obey you. He says that woman that you gave me, (laughs) it was her fault. And then she says, it was that talking snake. So everyone passes responsibility. No one takes responsibility. And that's so true of our generation, isn't it? It's so true of this generation. Nobody is taking responsibility and saying, yeah, I'm to blame. I have a responsibility for my life. It's those teachers. It's those parents, it's those leaders, it's those bosses, it's that government. It's always somebody else's fault. And the truth is this, we need to take responsibility for our lives. Dear friends, this is the gospel because we have one who took responsibility even when it wasn't his fault. He took the blame, He took the shame. He took it all on a cross and said, yes, I'll die on your behalf. Yes, I'll take your shame. Yes, I'll take your blame. Yes, I will be responsible for it. Somebody has to be responsible. Somebody has to own up and says, it's mine, it's my fault. I take it and Jesus took it to Himself even though actually it wasn't His fault at all. But He took it to Himself and took responsibility for sin. Dear friends, that's the pattern for us to walk in. That we take responsibility, not for our sin, Jesus has done that, but we take responsibility for our lives and the gospel is this great reversal now where mankind, once mankind lost that ability to rule and to reign, once he lost that in the garden, yes he actually was enslaved to sin and Satan did come along and give desires and give instincts. And it was almost like we are enslaved to these desires and instincts. But in the gospel, Jesus comes along, takes the blame, takes the shame, and breaks the power of those instincts and desires, and gives us a beautiful new creation. We're born again. And what we're born again to do is the ability to rule and reign, is the ability to take responsibility. I love this verse in Romans chapter five, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Those who've received God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. Is that you? Have you received his abundant provision of grace? It's all of grace. Do you notice that? We read that in the chapter. It's all by grace, not by works. It's all free by grace. Those who receive the abundant provision of grace, and the gift of righteousness. Exactly what Joe and Dan were saying. It's just that it's a gift of righteousness. You don't earn it, you receive it. Because of the blood and the bread and the wine, because of his body, because he gave it freely, we can now freely, the gift of righteousness. But what does it then say? It doesn't say, and now you can drift, shut your eyes and just drift downstream. No, it doesn't, it says those who receive the abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. And I think as Christians, we tend to think, oh yeah, we're going to reign in some, some future age. We're going to judge angels. We're going to, on this new heaven and new earth, we're then going to be the kingdom who reign. And that's true. We will be those who reign. We'll reign with him forever, but that reign doesn't start when Jesus comes again. That reign starts when you get born again and enter his kingdom, enter his rule, enter his reign. You become a kingdom reigning person and God gives you the ability to choose and to be responsible again for your life. Our kingship's restored. We're called now to to be responsible. We can now choose how we respond in each situation. And our devotion, I mean we're not gonna talk about daily devotions today, we'll come on to that in another setting. We're not gonna talk about prayer life or reading the Bible or witnessing. But our devotions to God start with knowing that he has freely called us and that we are free to step into that call. We're free to follow him. We're not free to do whatever we want, but we are free now as those who are new creations, new creatures, to follow his call in our lives. And it starts in our innermost being. You think, well, Jeremy, you're talking about God's call in my life. I'm sure God's call in my life is to be a leader in the church. I'm sure God's call of my life is to be a, a leader in the community. I'm sure God's call in my life is to be a leader in the home. I'm sure God's call of my life is to do amazing things for God in that area of sector of life that he's put me in. Yeah, but it starts here. His rule and his reign starts in your heart. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you first. Then it works through you and transforms lives around you, but it starts within you, it starts in your life. That's why Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, watch your life and your doctrine carefully. Now, if you talk to Chris. See, it's getting worse. (laughs) If you talk to Chris, you will be helped to watch your doctrine carefully. You know, we love doctrine, we love truth. We want to make sure that everything we're doing is in line with Biblical truth, and that's what the School of Leadership helps us to do. But Paul says, watch your life and doctrine carefully. I don't think we talk enough about that. You see, the writer in Proverbs says this, he who rules his spirit, in other words, his inner life, his person, he who rules his spirit is better than he who can take a city. Now, in biblical times, taking a city was like the ultimate. Wow, you could take a city. Wow, you could you could overthrow Jerusalem or, or Jericho. Wow, that, we write books about that. That's amazing. But the writer says he who can rule his heart. He who can rule his life. He who can rule his spirit. Is better than anyone who can take a city. Listen and I'll say this with love, I don't mean this in any derogatory way, but if you can rule your life and your heart, it's better than leading a church. It's better than starting a new ministry. It's better than leading at the office. Now, those things are good, but they come out of the ruling of the heart. They come out of his kingship and lordship in our lives, in the innermost being. Again, the writer of the Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, if we get our hearts right, if we, get these, if we get our lives right in the very core of the being, then actually we'll better work that out. He says in, no, in Proverbs, Proverbs is packed about wisdom for life. Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. You know, I guard my garden from cats. But are you guarding your life? Are you, are you aware of what comes into your life? Are you aware of the rubbish that comes in through your eyes? Are you aware of what can come in through your ears? Are you aware of what can come out of your, are you aware of these things? Because the Bible says guard it. Guard your life. Because it's the wellspring of life. Now let me be really clear, let me give you some really easy illustrations that kids, you can understand this as well. It's like when you become a Christian, God gives you a new heart, a new inner life. Ezekiel says this, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your hard heart of stone and give you this soft heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees. So God, when you become a Christian, God, and I became a Christian when I was eight years old, God gives you a new heart, a new spirit, a new insides, born again, new creation, but we're still housed in this flesh, in this body, which Paul kind of sometimes calls the body of sin. It's like it's not yet redeemed. And let me give you a couple of illustrations. It's like, has your mum or your dad ever given you like the most beautiful, wonderful, new, clean white t shirt? You know, it's lovely, it's clean, it's white. I mean, parents, not very sensible. But, you know, clean, it's white. And then you go out and enjoy life, but you know what happens as you enjoy life? Just, you don't mean to, it's never your fault, is it? You don't mean to, but the shirt just gets mucky. Now, what you don't do, now, unless you're David Beckham, apparently, what you don't do is throw that away and put a new white T-shirt on tomorrow. Apparently, that's what he does every day. Throws the old one away, gets a new one. Not very green, is it? No, you don't. You've got a new shirt. You've got a new life. It sometimes gets a bit messy. We wash it. We clean it. And that's what the Bible says, actually. It's why we take bread and wine. It just reminds us that if we've got a bit mucky in the week, if we've got a bit dirty, we can come afresh and get cleaned. And Jesus, see, that's what... The conversation was going on with Jesus and Peter about when Peter, Peter says, oh, don't wash my feet. I'm, you know, I'm not, you never wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, unless I wash your feet, unless I just wash you, you're not part of me. And then Peter, to, total Peter, he's like in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, don't just wash my feet then, wash me all over. And Jesus says, no, you don't quite get it. You're clean because I've spoken my word to you. But you get your feet dirty because you walk through some muck sometimes. I'm just going to wash your feet. Listen, guys, we're clean. We're clean because of the gift of grace and the righteous gift of the Lord Jesus. We're cleansed totally. We've got a new shirt. We've got robes of righteousness. But sometimes, thank you, but sometimes we just get that a little dirty and we need to come and get clean. Another illustration could be this. Anne is a great gardener, hence I watch the garden. I guard the garden. It's very biblical. Adam and Eve were called to guard the garden. Shouldn't let a talking snake in or a pooing cat, but that's another story. (laughs) Anne is a very good gardener, and she weeds the garden. And so therefore, there's very few weeds in our garden, actually. But it means that she doesn't just sit back and go, that's it, I've done the weeding, I'll never need to do it again. No, actually, birds kind of drop seeds, or plants deposit things, and actually... Some new weeds grow up. And she doesn't go, well, I thought I'd clean the garden. I thought I was weed free. No, you pick them out again. Charles Spurgeon, I think I mentioned this last time I preached here. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the last century, he said this. It's like when you become a new Christian, God ploughs your heart clean. But the enemy comes and deposits seeds. Don't let them grow. As you see a seed of a weed poking it, that little lust, it's poking its head out. That anger, it's poking its head out. That envy, it's poking its head out. That greed, it's poking its head out. He said, don't just sit back, hoe them out, dig them out. And that's what I think James is getting at when he says this. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Come near to God, he'll come near to you. Wash wash your hands, you sinners. But you're writing to Christians, James. They're not sinners, they're saints. Well, he says, But if you've sinned, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. And that's what we've done this morning. We've just come and washed our hands in the blood. We've just washed our hands. We've just eaten bread and reminded ourselves that we're clean. Dear friends, I just want to encourage you to maintain your purity before him. Maintain this sense of the clean shirt, the weed-free garden. It just needs effort by the Spirit. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God, but that grace isn't without, it's, like it's not in vain, it works within me, and I cooperate with it. So I think God's saying to us today, we have some responsibility to live our lives for him. He's given us clean lives, We have some responsibility to live that out before him. Because out of the overflow of our hearts, out of our clean t-shirt, out of our weed-free garden is going to come some good things. Out of the overflow of our heart is going to come ministry. Out of the overflow of our heart is going to come influence in our world, in our workplace, in our community. But it's out of the overflow of a clean heart. It's out of the overflow of what God's doing in your life. Because if you've got a dirty heart, then unfortunately dirty things come out. If you've got a a heart or a garden full of weeds, you tend to spread weeds. You listen to what people speak about. Out of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth speaks. So I think God's talking to us about our hearts and purifying our hearts. Now sometimes some of us have a tendency to be too judgmental on ourselves. And I think he wants to speak to you like he spoke to Peter and said, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Your T-shirt is fresh right now. Your garden is weed-free right now don't beat yourself up, you've come and repented, you've come and got clean, you've come and got clear, I'm with you. Now go and live like that. Go and live out of that. Because we sometimes look at other people judgmentally. So that's what happened with Samuel and David. Samuel, surely it must be this one, because this one looks a big strong guy. This fellow looks like he could be the king like Saul. No, not this one, Uh, not this one, not this one, not this one, and then what did God say to Samuel? God looks, you look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And sometimes we look at people's outward appearance and our outward appearance sometimes isn't that impressive. Or sometimes our outward appearance is beautiful. But the question is, the Lord is looking at our hearts. He's looking internally, he's searching our hearts and he's cleansing our hearts. And he's calling us to be a people of purity, a people of devotion, a people of consecration who give themselves to him and we, we live out of that. And there's gonna be a huge blessing out of that. I love what it, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do you know what it says about the, blessed, the pure in heart? Do you know what it says? Blessed are the pure in heart? Maybe, maybe you don't they'll see God, that's it. Do you wanna see God? You wanna perceive him? Then there's a link between cleansing our hearts, getting our hearts right before him. So there's a link between having bread and wine this morning and encountering him tonight at the prayer meeting. There's a link between the two. We've cleansed our hearts, we've got right before him, and this this evening we're gonna see him. This evening, you're gonna encounter Jesus. There's gonna be wonderful, beautiful encounters because blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God, they'll encounter God, they'll receive from him. And I believe the key to our devotion, the key is, uh, is healthy hearts that are cleansed that then see God and encounter God. And I believe that this, the fruitfulness of your ministry, the fruitfulness of what happens to you in the week, it's like 10 to 12 now, but where will you be 10 to 12 tomorrow, as I so often say? The fruitfulness of that will come out of your encounter with Jesus. It'll come out of your seeing him, and seeing him comes out of the purity of your heart. Can you see how important it is that we keep our hearts pure? We keep our hearts right? That we keep this integrity? In our lives, it's so important. And it's so important that we understand this all comes out of grace. It doesn't come out of legal. When you talk about devotion and you talk about prayer life or walking with God, so often it can come out of a kind of legalistic fear. It can be like, oh, I better keep the rules or he'll be cross with me. I better do this. Or, no. He's delighted in you. He delights in you. He loves you. He's for you. That's horrible. If you think, I better keep the rules, otherwise he won't like me. He loves you. Or it can come out of a, almost a stoicism, like I better screw my mind. I better really do well this time. I didn't do well last week. I've got to do well this week. Now, that's just boring morality. He's not called us to boring morality or just to keep the rules, for the rules sake. He's called us to a life of love and passion and that comes out of a pure heart cleansed by him that sees his glory and is inspired by who he is and his glory. I so often quote this ditty, and if you haven't learned it by now, you haven't heard me preach enough. It's what John Bunyan wrote, and it was the contrast of law and grace. And he wrote this, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Dear friends, law says you better run, You you better run hard, Oh, and by the way, I'm not gonna give you anything to help you, I'm not gonna give you a leg or an arm. I mean, you can roll, but you can't run. Better news the gospel brings, he calls us to fly. There are heights for us to soar into, there are callings and ministries that are, that if you knew the calling of God on your life, it would blow your mind. Some of you young people, if you knew the nations that he was gonna call you to, if you knew the influence that he was gonna give you at work, and in politics, and in the National Health Service, and in teaching profession, and in caring professions, and as an accountant, whatever it is, he's gonna give you such influence in that, it will blow your mind. It's such a high calling. But that doesn't come from you just working harder. It comes from his empowering presence. It comes from his filling of the Spirit. And seeing and savoring Jesus, I believe, is the heart of devotion. And it's the heart to maintain your white t-shirt. Or to maintain, see Anne doesn't just maintain a weed-free garden because she hates the weeds. She maintains a weed-free garden because she loves the flowers. And she loves the beauty of it. And when you've seen the beauty of Jesus, when you've seen the glory of Christ, when you've seen how mighty and magnificent and wonderful and incredible he is, you can't help but fly. You can't help but live for him. Let me give you an illustration. There was once a couple, well they weren't a couple actually, of two single people in our church in Hastings. True story. Joe and I was at school with Jo, she was in my actually she was class above me, but she was in the Christian Union I used to run, she was a lovely girl, and I brought her along to our church. And uh, there, she met a, another friend of mine called John. And John, I mean, have to be careful here because there's no one like this in Sheffield, but John was one of the, I'm not looking at you, I don't know why I looked at you, sorry Rich, you just looked up and caught my John was one of the unkempt people in life. Sorry, Rich. You know that you know the people who look scruffy even in a suit. You know, some people just can't look t- smart, can they? Some people are just scruffy people, hair and maybe you know a little bit of body odor occasionally, and you know maybe just the, whatever. It's just they're just creased people. I don't. And John was one of the creased people. Uh, not, not you, John. Even though, no, you're not. You're you're one of the tidy people, actually, John. Yeah, you, you really are. Um, <laughs> stop digging thank you anyway but when we tried to help John you know we tried to buy him some you know deodorant we tried to get him some new clothes which we, we just tried to smart, because he wanted a girlfriend we just tried to smarten him up and he never smartened up and he never smelt very nice at all until he caught the eye of Joe or rather Joe caught his eye and suddenly there was this blossoming relationship between Joe and John and the, I mean Joe didn't change much because she was already sweet and nice. But John, I mean, he smelt like a boots chemist's counter the next day. It's like he was tidy. It's like he was crease-free. It's like his hair was all combed. What happened? Did the law come to him and said, John, now, if you want the girlfriend, you must behave. You must wash, even under the arms. You must put this on. You know, links attracts the girls. You know, you must do this. You must put the... Cre- no, love was a compelling power. Love, love changes everything. I mean, it really does. It changes things. It changes your life. And I want to say to us, at, see, when I was a young man, I used to think my passions were too strong. I used to think, oh, I'm too passionate. I'm, too, passion- I'm too, too, you know, I can I can veer into envy I can veer into lust I can veer into greed you know my my passions must be too strong no it's just that it wasn't that my passions were too strong actually they were probably too weak they were actually focused in the wrong place and when you focus your eyes and your gaze on Jesus and when you get in love with him and when you see the glory and the majesty of the risen Christ when your pure heart sees him i tell you what it gives you wings to fly you'll get changed, the gospel comes to you, Jesus comes to you, and you get changed. I'll give you a couple of quotes, these are, this is C.S. Lewis, you know, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe man? And he said this, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition When infinite joy is offered to us. Have you found infinite joy? John Piper says, Sin is what happens when our hearts are not satisfied with God. Sin is what happens when our hearts are not satisfied with God. When we lift our eyes, we take our eyes from him, we stop looking at him, we start looking down. It's like Peter on the water, isn't it? When Peter looked down, when Peter stopped looking at Jesus, he sank. Dear friends, I believe God's prophetic word to us here is keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on him. Sam Storms, another author that I like his writings, he says this, the only thing that will break the power of sin is passion for Jesus. The only thing that will guard me from being entrapped by sin is being entranced by Jesus. And I believe God wants to speak to us as we come out of this pandemic. As we come out, last time I spoke to you about us being in this gray zone. Do you remember that? We talked about coming out of the wilderness, being on the verge of the promised land. The Jordan's closed behind us, the manor's stopped. We've got new battles ahead. We've got some challenges. We've got some things to do ahead of us. We've got some callings. What's going to enable us to walk in that is a fresh encounter with Jesus. It's like uh, Joshua was in front of Jericho and it said, and he looked up. What what, What does that imply if somebody looks up? They've been looking down and he looked up and he encounters the captain of the Lord's army which I believe is Jesus because he worships him and no angel uh, would ever encourage or allow anyone to worship them. It's God incarnate come, pre-incarnate Christ I believe, the Lord Jesus in all his glory and Joshua is changed. And then the next few verses says this, Jericho was tightly locked up as a fortress. See, I've given Jericho into your hands. You go, it's locked up, it's a fortress. No, see with different eyes. It's like David in front of Goliath. Everyone else saw a mighty soldier. Everyone else saw a seven foot guy with a spear like a weaver's beam, it says. Everyone else saw this mighty soldier. David looks and goes, "Huh. there's a man who God isn't with. He saw with different eyes. What are you looking at? Where's the focus of your gaze? Is the eye, Are the eyes of your heart looking at Jesus? I believe finding our call, finding God's call for our lives is gonna be found in the presence of God. It's gonna be found by encountering Jesus. What's that call he's got for your life? To change that environment around you? What's that call he's got for your life in school? What's that call he's got for your life in office? What's that call he's got for your life in the community? What's that call he's got for your life in that new area, that new territory, that new nation? i tell you where it's to be found. In the presence of the Lord by encountering Jesus, by seeing him afresh. And dear friends, as I bring this to a close, I was just reminded, I was out walking, well, I was out hobbling this morning, I should say. I was out walking, praying for you, and I felt God just remind me of something I'd read a couple of weeks ago in the scriptures, which I've never preached about before, I've never even referred to before, but it's in 2 Kings 22, you can read it later, it's in 2 Kings 22, and a new king has come to the throne, and... Kings is all about, oh, it, it's, it's in the title, the clue is in the title, it's all about different kings and they're always defined by, were they like David or were they not? Did they follow the ways of God or did they not follow the ways of God? A new king emerges, his name's Josiah and guess how old he is, guys, kids, guess how old Josiah is as a king? He's only eight years old. I became a Christian at eight, anyone eight here? Any eight year olds? Right, he, he, you know, he became a king, Alex, at your age. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Fancy, you know, there's a leadership election at the moment to be Prime Minister. On the 5th of September, it's going to be revealed. How about if the the, the Daily Mail's headline is Alex Blessan, new Prime Minister of the UK, in brackets, 8 years old? I mean, it's like laughable, isn't it? Sorry. but He's 8 years old. And... It says something remarkable happened to him 16 years into his reign, so I guess that makes him about 24? 26. 26? I don't know. I'm not very Maths was never my strong point. Thank you. 24? Maths is my strong point, apparently. 24. He's about any 24 year olds in the building, right? Okay, we won't know. So 24, something amazing happens. He says we need to start restoring the temple. We need to start rebuilding God's place. We need the glory of God to come back amongst us. We need to see that happen. And He he says to his administrators and treasurers, he says, go into the temple, find the temple treasure, and and buy all the carpenters and bricklayers and building merchants and B&Qs that you can find, and let's get the temple built again. Let's get the glory of God back in the nation. And what happens is they go into the temple they find not just money, they find this. They find the Bible. They find the books of the law, the books of Moses, the books of God's covenant grace. And they come to the king and said, look, we've not only found some money, we've forgotten the promises of God. And they relook look at the promises of God, and they realize the promises of God say this, if you forsake me, I'll put you into judgment into exile, I'll, I'll discipline you. But if you honor me, and if you put me first, I'll bless you with long life and blessing and influence. And they come to God, they, they, they mourn and they weep and they come, and, and God speaks through prophets to them and says, because you've turned your heart to me, I'm gonna bless you. Listen, dear friends, it's when they rediscovered the promises of God, it's when they rediscovered what God had said to them. And I felt as I was praying for you specifically, Sheffield City Church this morning, I felt God say, there are promises that you've forgotten. Now, it might be individuals. There might be some individual people here who've had prophetic words over their lives many years ago. Maybe when you were at New Day. Maybe when you were at Stonely Revive, Solid Rock. Maybe when you were at Downs Bible Week. Maybe we were at an event like North or Devoted God spoke to you something and you've kept it in the treasury, but you've forgotten to act on it, to be responsible with it. And I felt God say, there are words that I've spoken over individuals here that I want you to be responsible for. I want you to bring them out and bring them to me and bring them to life. I'm going to bring them to life. There's new callings, there's new things that I've said. And I felt God also said to the elders, actually, and to the leaders here, There are some past promises that you've forgotten. No, I don't know what they are. But there are some past promises that you need to get hold of again. Past prophetic words that I want you to pray back to me. And it's something about this building and there's something about the river and the water of God and the blessing of God overflowing. There's something about being in a dank basement tonight that's underground that's going to be like, digging a well, that something is going to come up and come out. And I think God is speaking to you and saying, I want you to rediscover my promises. I want you to rediscover the callings of God. They're not your callings. They're his callings for you. They're not your dreams. They're his plans and purposes for you. He's planned them before eternity, but he wants you to get them out and pray them back to him. He wants you to get them out and bring them to him. He wants you to take seriously the promises of God that are personal for you here in Sheffield. That are about new territory. They're about new footprints. They're about new areas. They're about new nations. They're about new influence. And as we come out of this pandemic, we're not gonna stay in this gray zone. We're gonna go and take some land. We're gonna go and take some cities. We're gonna take some vineyards that we never planted. We're gonna inherit some fields and some, um, and some buildings. We're gonna press in and take some stuff that God has prepared out of his grace before us to walk in. So as we end this message, I wonder if the band could come back up. I don't know what, quite what we're gonna sing, but whatever you fancy singing. But just before we do that, let me ask you a question. Are there promises, callings, words that you've forgotten, that even now, right now, he's reminding you of kids? Are there stuff that God's spoken to you about in kids' club, in going bananas? Are there things he's spoken to you about? Because God's call can come to an 18-year-old boy or a 24-year-old king. God's call and reminder of his promises is coming to you today. I just feel as we close this meeting, of course there are corporate promises, which I'm sure we'll be responding to tonight. But if you just feel you know, and it might be that you you know you've got them in the vaults, but you know they're there, they're locked away for safety. You know, everyone has a safe place at home, don't they? Sometimes it's an actual safe, but some of us it's just something where we hide the documents, the passports. You know they're hidden away. You know they're there for safety. God says, get them out. Stand on them. Pray them back to me, because there's life in those promises. If you know that's you, you know there's some promises that God has got for you. I, I would just love to pray for you. We're not gonna do lots of ministry. We're going to worship, actually, and open our eyes and see Jesus. But if that's you, I wonder if you just stand right now. And the kids, it might be some of you. You've got some promises as well. Might be... I think it's going to be lots of us who are carrying promises, who just need to say yes. We're not going to ask you what they are. It's between you and God. But there are some promises that you know you've got. There are some callings that are in your closet, are locked away. And God's just putting his finger on you right today and saying, do you know what? I've not forgot these callings. Don't you forget them. I'm reminding you of them. There's a few more of us actually. I just felt there were some children as well. Felt there was some stuff for children. Parents, you might even just want to communicate with your children right now and just ask them. You might remember stuff for them. And they go, oh yeah, there was that. Sometimes mum and dads can remember things better than we can. The first prophecy I ever had of my life came from my mother. I think there's some words. So there's just a few more people I think need to stand. One or two more, I'm just going to make space. It's wonderful. Thank you for being so responsive. Let's just pray.